back once again. Durin Show, episode nine. Mitchell, Matt, how is it going? As always, it's going. Life is good. Life is good. I'm back Finally to record, and we had, a, we had a little bit of a break. Yeah, vacations, things are opening up again, but... Yeah, a little bit based... back to normalcy. Getting there. Hopefully, some games lined up. I know we were talking a little bit offline, a couple upcoming games, Mitchell, for you, and then we were planning, hopefully, an opportunity to, to play the three of us here in maybe the month of July sometime, so that'd be pretty cool if that happens. Yep. Been thinking about been thinking about starting a YouTube channel with Marcus. So we'll see. I don't know. Kind of kicking that around as an idea just for an occasional bat rub. Nothing consistent, but could be an idea. Yeah, I was watching. Uh, well, I think we all watched it, but it was the speak friend with the top table guys. And it was funny how everyone was getting sick of recording bat reps because of all the work so i'm like ah oh, we can contribute to this <laughs> <laughs> did you guys see my comment when the autocorrect kept getting me and i was like more barrels <laughs> i kept trying to spell out bat reps and they're like uh i don't know what that means <laughs> it's like oh i didn't know that was you <laughs> how embarrassing and they're like i don't and then they're like Devin, he's from the u.s do you know what more barrels means like, uh no i don't <laughs> I recognize that username, the Gondorian Gamer. I'm giving the Yanks a bad <laughs> reputation. And then finally, like, five minutes later, like, oh, bat reps. Oh, he corrected himself. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> My first interaction with celebrities, and I ruined it. <laughs> what are they doing in the U.S.? <laughs> it's the wrong game, mate. Wrong game. Uh. Uh, pretty funny. Funny. I did not oh, know that was you. I was I was even laughing at that guy. It's like, ha! Ah, what an idiot. Idiot. <laughs> uh, I got. I think I made one comment during one of their bat reps, and I made some sort of general comment like on the deployment strategy, and everybody looked at it at the same time, and they're like, "What? No, that makes zero sense." I was like, well, you looked at it five minutes later. Like, I made that comment when they were putting their models down, not like when they're trying to move right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After that, I gave up. I was like, okay, I'm not good at this. Yeah. You guys are tainting the family name. <laughs> Pretty much. One one thing that I think would be kind of cool is a live bat rep, though. So you guys, when you do do it, you got to do it live. No post-processing. Oh, that sucks. And you tell everybody ahead of time when you're going to go on so people can log in and watch it as it's going down. And then I will, make sh- I will make sure I heckle you from the audience and, and <laughs> point out all the things you did badly during the action. We could do it on Instagram Live or something. Yeah, Facebook Live. YouTube has a live function. Uh, not you. Yeah. Yeah, YouTube, yeah, YouTube does. Yeah. yeah. I like that idea. It would be way less like uh, stress trying to edit it because everybody says that's the worst part. Actually, yeah, yeah you're so, right. I wouldn't have to edit. Yeah, so you just avoid that, and then you kind of let people. I mean, people see the whole action. I mean, the movement can be boring the first couple phases, but once you get through, that's all really important. So, mm. anyway, it would also be more accepting of the wide camera angle. It would. Mm. Is the wide yeah. camera angle the one where it's basically from one person's perspective looking down on the board? Uh, usually I would think it's on like a tripod on the side of the board looking at both halves, but I mean, you could, there's multiple ways you could do it, but that's the way I was thinking of using like three cameras and splicing them all together, but doing it live would be much easier because you just have to do one camera and say, this is what you get. Yeah. So we've, we've gotten some really good feedback from some members of the audience. I'd be very curious if anybody would have a preference of a live go versus a edited bat rep. Leave it to the people. Yes. Oh, I like that. I would say leave a comment, but I don't think there's comments on the <laughs> podcast. So <laughs> reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Uh, if if you don't know, it's the Gondorian gamer. He's the one that usually <laughs> makes an idiot of himself on Facebook. Yeah. You'll see him all the time. <laughs> more, I'm changing my name to More Barrels. <laughs> uh, yes, More Barrels for me. Ah. Uh, that's actually kind of a cool cool segue, though, into what we were going to talk about tonight. We, it's a little bit more of a, a mishmash of topics. No no bat reps or army reviews, but more 
behind the scenes playing a game or mechanics of how we're building lists or you know unique models that we're looking at uh and specifically on the on the gaming part we had a couple people actually reach out with questions regarding gaming etiquette or how we would treat unique situations that come up and that got us thinking you know what are some other just general gaming etiquette things that we think are important or have seen. I know we touched on this on one of the earlier episodes, we were talking about like precision movement and measuring carefully. And this is going to be kind of a continuation of that. Yeah. It's one of those topics where you, especially around this time too, you have a lot of new people entering the hobby. I don't know. This is just my experience. Um, People who haven't necessarily played in other systems, this is kind of their first system. So the whole tabletop, gaming etiquette's kind of new to them i think it's a good topic to cover absolutely hey the first let's go ahead and get started the first question was actually a a pretty pretty intense one it was at what point when you're playing a game at what point do you not allow take backsies or put another way at what point do you not allow someone to go back and do something that they otherwise forgot to do so i'll give you an example did the person forget to call heroic channeling at the start of the move phase and they wanted to channel a spell? Did they forget to move a model on in the very back corner? Let's say they finished their move phase and they forgot they had one guy way off on the side. They forgot to move him. Uh, calling, a heroic, calling a heroic march and then realizing not everybody can end within six of the march. So therefore they have to forego their movement. So they might want to change the whole march of where everybody positioned that kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So I have a super strong opinion on this one. So I'll let you guys go first because I'm more I'm more passionate about this question than most rules. Ooh, I like it. Mitchell, you go first. I'll kick it off. Yeah. So it honestly, it really goes down to me as like, what kind of setting am I in? Obviously, it's competitive. You're going to be a little more harsh. We we all get that. We all understand. In a casual game, I try to separate myself a little bit like, okay, what's the goal? Do I want this guy to continue to play me? Do I, you know, are we having fun? Is this a serious game? Is it Marcus? And I'm really just trying to piss him off. (laughs) (laughs) So like there's, there's a, there's so many factors that go into it. And I honestly, I can't say I play exactly the same every way. I like to say when I'm in a casual game, I like to have fun and just relax. Cause in the end, we're just trying to throw dice so like, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, just reposition your guys so that, you know, all your models can end within six and they don't have to forgo their movement. Yeah, I, I, I understand your intention that you were intending that everybody was going to end up. Yeah, I, I understand you were intending to move that model. You just didn't see him hiding in, in a building. You know what I mean? And therefore you just accidentally missed him. Like, um, although I won't... I think where I draw the line is when you go back multiple turns. If it's all in that turn, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, yeah, I understand what you meant to do in this turn. If you're trying to say, oh, well, two turns ago or three turns ago, I meant to do this. Like, okay, well, I can't help you out there. You know, like attach attach a rule example to where that would happen, where somebody would be trying to go back multiple turns. Thinking blood and glory. Oh, yes. That, that happens so many times. Blood and Glory is a great one, a great example, because you're like, oh, I killed that hero, you know, three turns ago. He should have got a might back. Um, you could have been like, uh, oh, I meant to throw up Blinding Light, you know, two turns ago or whatever, you know, like to start out the game or Fury. You know, I meant to throw up Fury right off the bat, you know, and um, uh, thinking of other examples off the top of my head. Oh, I, I meant to fire my Tribuchet last turn. You know, it's like, OK, well, it's kind of a big no. deal. Like, Yeah. No, I agree with you guys on everything except Blood and Glory because Blood and Glory, like, that that occurs no matter if somebody acknowledges it or not. So just because someone forgot to say, hey, you realize I got a mic back. Yeah. I mean, you should count on that. So that's really – doesn't really and, matter. And I think I would agree with you if that was to happen to me, like, hey – I, cause it ha- happens to me with Amder all the time. So that's kind of why I'm siding with you, Matt is, uh, you know, like, Hey, I just realized that I, I killed your captain two turns ago. So technically he has one more might. Usually people are pretty okay with that. And they accept the fact like, yeah, that happens no matter what, um, other special rules. Like, I don't know, technically I was 
you know, supposed to knock you down because I charged or something. I don't know. Something yeah, yeah. weird like that. Yeah, those I, are different. Those are yeah. a different topic. You're right. I, th- I, th- I think it's easier to be more flexible inside the turn just in general over all special rules than it is to wait one to two more turns. Because honestly, the more turns you wait, that does impact how you play, like the, depending on the results. So it, it's, it's a lot harder to predict the variables of what could have happened the further away from that instance that it happened. And this, the conversation is proof of why we need to do a video podcast because, Mitchell, while you and I have been talking, Marcus has been giving us the most judgmental look about our comments on Blood and Glory. He's like, you, you guys are poopy for brains. That's what his face is saying right now. So we can't continue to cheat the audience out of this. He's probably pulling out his notebook saying, see, on December 13th, you said I could do this. No, honestly, I... Intense conversation. I just have what do they call it? Resting RBF. I, yeah, I have a hardcore of RBF. Um, no, so I was thinking on the blood and glory. I agree with your logic of the mechanics fire, whether or not you acknowledge it or not. But I was trying to think specifically of the situations I've run into. It was a cascade of effects. So it was a sequence where we were either calling heroic moves or counters, or somebody's trying to win the fight and tabulate what would be required. And the one I'm thinking of specifically, I was playing against a model who had blood and glory. It was a heroic uh, joust off. And to win the duel, we both rolled sub sixes. So I think he, he rolled like a three or something high. I rolled like a four or something high. And so the play was how many might was he going to spend to force me to spend might to win the combat. And it was one of these really back and forth where after we declared how much might we were going to spend to to finalize the duel then i started rolling for wounding and then he's like oh wait i forgot i had blood and glory from two turns ago so i'm gonna spend another point of might but we were already tallying wound count so i was like okay fine like yeah that was now now i see i saw what i I, rolled for wounding so i was like okay well i can't remember if i rolled great or bad but let's say i rolled really well let's say i rolled like three wounds or something do i keep my three wounds and then just go back and burn the might or if i rolled really poorly do i say okay well I'll go back and spend the might, but now do I re-roll everything? Because I've seen what I rolled to wound, so it kind of it kind of screws it up. Or maybe yeah. vice versa. Maybe I wanted to lose and he didn't wound me at all. So I was like, yeah, okay, fine. It just it puts it in a weird spot. I I I in those see this is why it's just so hard to like say how uh, you know how stingent are you on everything? Because like you, there's so many examples, so many scenarios people could come up with where you're like, oh, why are you being such a you know, nitpicky person about this. You know, it's no big deal. Just let it go. And then there's instances where you're like, well, you can see the cascading effects that this has by going back. And I, I think that's a great example of the further you are from the point that it happened, the harder it is to correct it because there's yeah. so many cascading effects, so many variables that could have changed. How many calculations did you have entering into that calcul- that combat thinking, okay, I have everything prepared for. I know exactly statistically what I'm going up against. And having those, you know, especially when it comes down to a, like a, a good sportsmanship thing, you know, the pressure's on you, you know, like, am I being a jerk for not wanting to go back or, you know, like there's, there's just so many things. I would say I have a couple of general rules when I'm playing. So I would, Mitchell, similar to you, I would segregate it. Do I have, is this a competitive game at a tournament or is this a casual game, i.e. anything that's not tournament based? If it's a tournament based game, I do not allow any takebacks outside the first turn. Assuming yeah. that anything that happens in the first turn, I'm assuming it's going to be either a channeled spell where it doesn't matter. If they forget to channel it, they're just going to try and channel it the next turn. Blinding light, like a two plus roll. I'm really not counting on the fact that anybody's going to roll a one. I That just doesn't happen. So I will allow takebacks in the first turn, but then I always follow it up with something not assholey, but something along the lines of, you know, like, yeah, that this, this, that, that's fine. It's not going to impact the game, but stuff down the road will impact the game. So let's just make sure we, we go slow and we're, we communicate or something yeah. to the effect that hey, this isn't, we can't have take backs these late game. And I think most people, especially in a competitive standpoint, most people would support you. I think where this gets really hard is the pressure of trying to be a nice guy. And, you know, cause this hobby 
specifically. I've heard it multiple times. I haven't played in many other game systems, but I hear it all the time how great this hobby is of people who just want to have fun. They're not really stingy and stuff like that. So there's a little bit of pressure of that. You know, you don't want to be that jerk. But I think for the most part, people would support you in a competitive standpoint like that. Especially, especially a TO. There's no way a TO could go against that. So for the the non-competitive or the casual games, I would say I, as a blanket rule, I allow all takebacks, even multiple turn takebacks, with the mindset of number one, this is a friendly game. I'm here to have fun. We're playing a game, and two, every time I build an army, like deep down, I'm always trying to see like how awesome is this army? Does this army rock? Does this army suck? Like how good is this army? So I think at the end of the day if my army wins but they win on a fluke because somebody forgot to move their hero around a corner or somebody forgot to channel a spell or somebody forgot to adjust a model slightly so they're six inches within range instead of six and a half inches within range those are those are technically you know oopses but they're technicalities and if i win on a technicality in a tournament great i'll take a win however i can get it but in a casual game, I'm trying to understand how the army's playing. I'm trying to understand, you know, what the strengths and weaknesses are. And you can't, you can't judge an army based on the fact that they benefited from a technicality. I just think yeah. that's totally pointless. Oh yeah. And also, you're trying to encourage. Like we obviously play a lot, and we play regularly, and we've been playing for years. But you're also trying to encourage people that you're playing against that you really do want to play me again. You know, you do really want to keep playing. So if yeah. you're really coming down hard, especially in a casual game, like, no, technically you can't do that. Like, how is that encouraging the hobby to grow? Yeah, that's a good point. And it also gives me a lot of grace because I forget a ton of stuff. So every once in a while, it's nice to be like, hey, I'm sorry, but I did goof. That was supposed to be left, not right. So it's nice to it's nice to have it both ways. And if you're if you're coming down hard on people's hands, they're they're not oh, going to yes. reciprocate. Yeah, retaliation is inevitable. Matt, you said you were passionate. Uh, yeah, yeah, big time. So I mean, all right, let me I grab my notebook. From, <laughs> you guys already said it. This game is meant to be fun. Like even even at Nova, which is the most competitive venue I've ever played at, people are super chill. Um, which I enjoy, but there's a line between being chill and then messing the game up. So I am the most absent minded player probably in the game. Like I'll be moving, I'll do a heroic move and I'll get so excited. I'll start moving models outside of the heroic move because I got in rhythm. And so I am constantly needing to be reminded by myself and by my opponent. Nope, you're, you're getting ahead of yourself. So just keep that in the framework. So take backs. Um, number one, it's about setting the stage like you did, Marcus. Okay, round one. Okay, this is it. But just so you know, later, I'm going to be watching this and this will become more of a big deal. We talked about, I think it was in our very first episode about setting expectations up front. And by demonstrating how you're going to play, your opponent mm -hmm. will get a vibe from you how he should play. So you've got to, if, if, if take backs and do overs are a big deal, you've got to make that clear through your play. Mm -hmm. Now, there are many things that people forget about that don't impact your movement. So where I think the line is, is if someone's off on the side and they had a model completely out of play and they forgot to move it the last turn and they say, Hey, I, I completely forgot about this. He had six inches of movement. Well, that would not impact me at all because I wouldn't have been able to charge him. Let's say it was way out of the picture and he was just going towards an objective and you knew what he was going to do. And regardless of what he did, your play isn't going to change. Then I have no problem. Yeah, man, you, you forgot. Just move it. But if it's something that would completely change how I would have moved and by allowing them to do that, you would have to go redo your move phase. That's where I say, hey, well, it's too late because I don't remember where my models were. And if I'd have known you were going to do that, I would not have gone to the right. I would have gone to the left to counter it. So that's where I'm like, I'm sorry, man, I'd love to let you, but I don't even know where my models were. And if you do that, I'd have to reset my whole move. So mm. that's, that's my line draw is, does it make you reverse time where inches matter and you'd have to go back to exactly where you were? I don't allow take backs on that. But if it's something that you can say, 
hey, I just forgot this, then no matter if it's two turns, three turns, I let them do it because it wouldn't have impacted me. The only big exception that I'm always kind of a, a, a stickler on is heroic channeling because it seems like at the heroic phase, that's the one people tend to forget the most. Yeah. And, and heroic channeling impacts everything you do as the opposing player. Oh, if yes. someone calls a heroic channel, it's a big deal. So all the time I get someone who's like, oh, by the way, man, I meant to call heroic channeling with the necromancer. Do you care if I redo that? And, yeah, I do actually, man, because you're about to stick somebody <laughs> through my back line. So yeah. <laughs> a bomb's but about I, to detonate. I, I, no, I, I don't but, mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I try I try to be funny about it because it's and it's clear that it's not just because you're trying to be a jackass, it's because again, I can't go reset all my models and had you called that, my move is completely different. So I'm sorry, bro, but I just I can't. So, oh, I yeah, and I see I, you you brought up a great point. Heroics is obviously where you see this the most. Uh, heroic combat. Like, after you've resolved, like, two or three combats, and you're like, oh, I meant to call a hero combat. And it's like, well, if you were going to call one, I was going to call one to try to negate yours. So you kind of see these cascading effects of turning back time, as you said. That's a great example. Exactly. But, I mean, the last tournament I was in, someone was, like, super cool because, again, I was trying to go to the supplies, and I'd lost track of one of my guys, and he had nobody in range. And so, like, two turns, I hadn't moved him. I'm like... By the way, man, that guy would have made it 12 inches. Is that cool? And I was very clear. I was like, if you say no, that's my bad, not yours. And he's like, no, man, I wouldn't have got to him. I had nothing to shoot him with. Go ahead. So, I mean, I benefited from people being pretty chill, but it didn't impact the game. Hmm. So I think one thing that's coming out in the theme, there is a difference between competitive games and casual games, except, Matt, you seem more even across the board. But the other yeah, thing I try is, to play the same no matter what, but I, that's not always sustainable. That makes sense. The other theme that's clear or clear in my mind, if there is a cascading or compounding effect of multiple models are going to have to be removed, it's going to probably be disallowed. So Mitchell, you said hero combats. If somebody said, hey, I forgot to call hero combat at the beginning of the turn, you would be less likely or less inclined to allow that because you would have called a hero combat and then it would have started a cascade it, of left, right. Right. It, it, in a lot of examples, not every example, obviously if it's a hero combat way on the left side and I have no heroes to support, obviously it doesn't affect me. It doesn't matter. You're going to call it no matter what, but if we're like, it's, it goes back to how many models you have to reposition. If it goes back to you've resolved four or five combats already. Mm, yep. And then there's, then we get to the combat with the hero and they go, Oh, I meant to call a hero combat with that hero. Then it's like, yes. well, I mean, we're, we're, we're a little late. You know, we kind of moved some, a lot of models around here. It'd be hard to reposition them, you know. And, and again, that's like the fact where you can see the out. You already saw the outcome. So maybe you forgot to hero, call a hero combat and you took three casualties, whereas yeah. your hero would have been able to avoid or vice versa. You called a hero combat and you killed three people. So instead of going to the middle from your hero combat, which might have been the obvious choice, you now would have bubbled to the outside because there's nobody left to kill. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I find a, a lot of times, too, the easiest way to avoid all of this is to help my opponent out. Like a lot of times, like when heroics come and it starts heroics, I'm like, do you want to call a heroic combat with that hero? And they're like, oh, yeah, I do. And, you know, because obviously it makes sense tactically like in a casual game it usually helps to remind people like i remind i can't even tell you how many times i reminded people about banners like most people i play against seem to forget that they have a banner supporting most of their guys and so they'll roll and they lose the combat and i'll just ask them before i roll to wound like do you want to banner that you know how many times did that happen just to avoid the whole situation of you rolling to wound you kill the guy and they're like oh wait i have a banner and then they roll and then they win the fight because <laughs> of that banner and you're like yeah but he's dead. You know, it's just so much yeah. easier to avoid that whole situation by just reminding him for him. And I think that is probably the best thing is you can see when someone's forgetting something that is clearly not a tactical play that they're just forgetting it. Just pointing it out is the best course because that just keeps people on their toes and sets the tone for a good game. So yes. I agree, Mitch. The other example Matt you had was the spells or channeled spells late game. So I think I had said I don't care about if they forgot if they forget to ch call the heroic channeling early game. 
late game, I could definitely see how if they didn't call it at the beginning, the move would have gone completely differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also realized I lied. I said I typically to have nothing on a casual game that I won't go back and say no. Elrond's foresight of the Eldar. It's actually happened to me quite a few times where the opposing player forgets that they have the foresight points to spend. And they're like, can we... It's like, ah, that one's hard because that's priority. Yeah. That's, that's, all, that's a phase That's one's away. hard. Logistically, that's just hard to unwind. Yeah. Yeah. So. Especially, it goes back to how many models have you moved? How much has it really impacted? How much do you have to go back and try to figure out exactly where everything was? Is it worth the effort? Or is it, you know, there's a there's an invisible line there. I think for most people, like... It's it's too late at this point. I feel like and that differs obviously from person to person, but everybody has it. Yeah, yeah. But see, there I'm a great. I try to be a Green Dragon student, and I voice a Saruman on him at all the time. On always <laughs> like, oh, you could use uh, you could use Elrond's foresight points like in turn one. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to win that? So like, they're sick of it by the time it's done. I'm like, oh, oh crap, you're gonna use your foresight points. I really wanted that priority. <laughs> uh. It never it works, probably... but they're they're sick of it, so they never forget them by the time it's done. I love that conversation. It was so funny listening to it. It's like, oh, you're I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna really win this game. But if you do this, you could totally block it. <laughs> Son of a gun! I can't believe I've set it up so you could move your horse there, <laughs> and you're gonna get a charge on my guy. Oh, so look, I have a catapult. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so so take this question the other way. What happens if you're in the position of not necessarily a take back, but this is when I was thinking about this conversation, Matt, you called it out briefly. If you are the person that does the faux pas or you are the one that makes a mistake, how do you rectify the mistake? And let me paint the example just so we can talk off and then bring your own examples. But heroic move. You move the hero. You have six inch everywhere within six inches and you move three or four models. And then all of a sudden accidentally four or five and models, four, five, six start moving outside the bubble. You're on model seven, eight, and then either your opposing player calls it out or you realize I totally did not stay within six inches. This is an illegal move, but I've moved four or five other models already. How do you rectify that? Uh, so, so I always just ask the opponent, I say, Hey, this is, this is clearly my bad. I messed up. What do you want to do here? I can try and put them back as close. What do you think the right thing to do is? Because I just screwed up. And every yeah. time that's happened, someone says, uh, just try and put them back where you think they were. Or someone will say, well, just stop where you're at. And then I'll do my move. And if it blocks where I want to go, I'll ask you to back them up to where we think. So, And, and at that point, you're kind of at their mercy because sometimes it's in their benefit. Sometimes it's not. So... Yeah. you're at their mercy because you you messed up so you let them call how to fix it 100 percent agree yeah amazing call out the thing i want to highlight there is the fact that you before you touched the models again you identified what the problem was and you you called it out several times i have either done it myself accidentally or my opponent has done it where they said oh i'm so sorry i messed up and they start trying to unwind things in mass and what that means is they basically two hand trying to pull models back. Models are everywhere. You've lost, you've lost. Yeah, made, made the situation worse. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. I, at that point, just leave it. I don't care if they're seven inches. I'd rather have them, you know, be where they were instead of trying to rebuild the crime scene. Yeah. A, yeah. a lot of times it makes sense, especially if people have that typical shield wall formation, you know, like, you know where the models were, you can, you can put them back, but in that area where they're spread out, Obviously, yes. that takes a little more finesse. It, it again, situation to situation, and this is why, honestly, it makes more sense. I that's another thing I call out a lot is people. You know, I remind people of their banners, but I also keep asking, like, "Hey, is that within six inches?" Whenever yep. they they, they drop the model, that's very helpful call out for most people because then they look at it and they go, "Oh, you're right, I am forgetting that," and you're like, "Okay, no problem. We're only one or two models in." This is and then, like, I've... just dropping dice when you see someone in a heroic move. I think there's so much courtesy that goes up ahead of time is you just set up dice when he calls a heroic move on a six-inch line on each side mm. for your reference, and then it mm. kind of keeps them and helps them. Yes, markers. Markers for sure. 
these are things that pop up. It's, it's never an issue, right, in turn two, three, four. It's always an issue in the last turn or the second to last turn yes. where you have so many interwoven bubbles, whether it's a stand fast bubble, a banner bubble, a heroic move bubble. There's so many things that are are critically dependent upon whether or not that model's a half inch right or half inch left. So whatever you can do to minimize the problem, go slow and ask your opponent how they would like to resolve it too. And if they say, well, everybody gets penalized with half inch move and you can't move the rest of your team. Well, then you just flip the table and call it a day. So. <laughs> yes. Any other faux pas or, or uh, maybe table etiquette call outs that you guys think? Uh, are important? Well, this is just goes back to like, when I teach people a lot of times, I, I run into this every once in a while. Not everybody does this, and I get it. But the people that you do run into, it makes a world of difference of how the game goes, touching other people's models. Like, it it runs into a lot. And for the most part, what I do is to set the stage is I usually ask someone if it's okay to touch their models. Because I have run into occasion, and it makes sense, 100% sense to me why they don't want to touch them. If they spent hours and hours and hours, and they don't know what Doritos I've been eating, you know, or something, whatever it is, like it makes complete sense that they would be the ones to like move them an inch back or six inches for a comp or whatever it is, you know, a, a spell or to remove them from the game. Like I don't know, that's just going with the table etiquette. I I find you you mentioned table etiquette, and I just wanted to throw that out there, but. Don't touch other people's models. Unless they're especially, okay with it. Especially if you're... A, so th this is an awkward call. Especially if you are a bystander who doesn't play the game, who randomly walks up to a table where somebody maybe named Marcus and somebody maybe named Matthew might be playing a game and start pulling models off the board saying, ooh, this looks cool. <laughs> nice paint job, bro. How'd you do the eyes? Like, <laughs> we were doing that combat. <laughs> We had uh, just spent six minutes, Mister. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was seriously. I I almost died. Uh, uh, not uh, in the new edition, but Mitchell, your comment about don't touch my models. I remember several times in older editions, some very awkward moments where a game was going very poorly for one person, and almost universally it was always the retort stop pulling my dead people away from the battle <laughs> right it's like oh awkward okay it, yeah it's the Ten most slap. it's like a double hit like a double whammy when they they're annihilating you but they're also removing them to show you their triumph <laughs> it's like don't touch my models <laughs> it's like i will win a victory i don't care what it is but i will win a moral victory here don't touch them Yes. <laughs> Again, easily set up when you're starting the game. Oh yeah. As you're just being like, hey, these are these are metals, so anything yeah. where we have to do movement, I'll take care of my models. Oh like, my god. You can do that in a chill way. Oh yeah. Don't wait yeah. for some, Don't wait for an awkward moment. Yeah. I never ever ever thought I would like be that way because honestly, I, I'm not the best painter, so I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care if they chip or I don't care whatever. I put a lot of hours into the last army I did, and now I'm already protecting them. I'm like, nobody will touch these. So like it's 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 kind of understandable at the same point. Like if if people are casual, it, it no big deal. But it is like Matt said, just set it up at the start of the game. If you're trying to protect your models, if you're really worried about it, just set the precedent right off the bat at the beginning of the game. Absolutely. Ah, uh, no, great great conversation, guys. It's it's always these types of things make or break an experience. They can make even a shitty game from a performance perspective, still seem fun because the camaraderie there, the sportsmanship's there. It sounds cliche. I know there's usually a reward, an award at in events, you know, the best sportsman, yay. But at the end of the day, some of the most fun games I've ever had are the games I got my butt whooped. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, so the next, the next topic we have to talk about, and this one's gonna be interesting, the idea of utility players. How are they used? How have you seen them used? Have you been able to have success with any of these? And I guess utility player defined as really, what are they called? Like the, the one drops? I think they're called yeah. one drops. Basically what, what model from any faction can ally in randomly, maybe without a warband, to have success. And Couple elevate that army, yeah. And elevate the army big time. Couple examples, 
Boromir of Gondor on horse mm. from the fellowship list. He allies into a, I think actually every army, every good army or almost every good army. He's yeah. Not good. the old ones, but yeah, most of the, most of the armies. Yeah. Uh, the witch King, the witch King can actually ally into quite a few different army lists. He himself is part of a couple army lists. Uh, what are some other one guys? Um, well, I thought I, of, you know, I'm a Hobbit player, so um, I'll say the Spider Queen, the Keeper of the Dungeons, any Nazgul of Dol Guldur, um, great one drops on any evil Hobbit army. I've seen, just in our local scene, I've seen Gwaihir dropped in a lot of armies. Uh, Misty, cool, Mountains, yeah. Misty Mountains yeah. is convenient with everything, so you see a lot of just one drop Gwaihirs to get a flying monster in there. Great call out. Something that we'll touch on just briefly since the rules have changed, but some popular old one drop models, Alfred, Kirdan, the Shade from Engmar list. Those used to be very popular, but since the recent, well, not recent anymore, since the most recent FAQ update, uh, those those models really lost their their luster. Yeah. Well, and this, you know, it's been well documented that games workshop always tries to mess with my list so i got uh i had alfred he was easy to get but i was gonna do alfred and the captain as my one drop into everything the lake town captain so paid the ebay bucks got him started painting him alfred can't do it to a captain anymore so <laughs> that that one they at least waited about a week until after i'd purchased it to do it, so that was cool <laughs> <laughs> Until you, so you put a uh, brush to the model. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, somebody's just sitting at their desk, you know, sleeping, half reading, maybe they got some popcorn, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden they scramble. Like, oh, no. Pages. Matt just purchased something. Quick, change the, change the Lake Town rules. <laughs> Publish. <laughs> Matt's on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> See the red light. <laughs> <laughs> Someone wakes up out of bed. How can I screw with Matt today? <laughs> <laughs> How can I screw with the guy that just loves his barrels? Yeah. <laughs> that barrel lover. I'll show him. <laughs> Not even barrel rider. You just get barrel lover. Yeah. <laughs> Need more barrels. I uh, want that in the next FAQ. <laughs> can we ride barrels on a river? <laughs> yeah. So a couple other call-outs I wrote down, and then I think it would be cool if we each maybe took a couple minutes and talked about our experiences with these one-drops, whether or not we think they're you know, epic, really overutilized, underutilized, et cetera. Um, before we do that, uh, Legless Greenleaf, I saw him early on. I saw him dropped into a ton of different lists, similar to Boromir. He can be from the Fellowship, or he can be from uh, Mirkwood, I think, regularly. So a couple yeah. different ways take him so he can basically appear in hobbit armies or regular armies without mm -hmm. issue haven't seen him very much recently and the other hero that i haven't seen a ton but i've heard a couple people talk about now is ballin old ballin from thorin's company nope that would be young ballin from thorin's young company ballin. young yeah. ballin from thorin's company so the to hobbit get that profile. special rule yep the hobbit profile so yeah yeah and I mean, I think the most oh. effective one drop in the game to ally is the Desolator of the North, too. He's pretty good. Actually, I just thought of the most common <laughs> one drop. He's technically a one drop. In theory, I just thought of the most common <laughs> one drop, and we haven't even mentioned. It's probably the most universal one drop, and that's Hold Lady on. of Light. The Lady of Light. Why haven't we mentioned that one? Oh, that's true. I guess we've we, we she's shown up in so many of our recent army reviews. Yes, you're yeah. right. Lady of Light. It's very it's, popular right now. Most popular one drop, yeah. Although I did hear a conversation or as part of a conversation where somebody was talking about how they think that that is going to stop being the case as magic becomes less and less prevalent in the current meta. Hmm. The, dual, the dual casters, you don't see that as much. Magic is prominent if you play lots of games in one day, but there are a lot of armies that are being built today without any magic. Hmm. So maybe. maybe. Yeah, good call she's, out. She's still a good combat hero, though. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I also forgot, Mitchell, you said there were a couple of warriors you were thinking about from a utility perspective that can show up in lots of different lists. 
Oh, yeah. So Castil- uh, Castellans, I think they're technically... I've called them Castilians until I finally looked at the name and go, oh, yeah, that's not how you pronounce it. But <laughs> uh, I see I, th- I see them being a universal tool. Um, bat swarms. Anytime you drop a bat swarm into an army, that's a an objective grabber slash hero threat um, for a lineup. Um, there's... There was a couple ideas I had, like you could obviously use some warriors, uh, monsters, um, dropping uh, a couple of monsters in. Like there's there's some universal. Monster if heroes. you can, yeah, if you can just if you if you think about your classic grab of okay, I'm just gonna take a captain and then drop this monster and to get this profile into the army, mm-hmm. um, like there's there's some good ideas for that. Much harder now that they have the restrictions on allying, but still yep. possible. Yes. Yes, just a little more expensive to do. Cool. All right, so why don't we why don't we take the ones that we talked about and then give a little bit of background on how we saw them and why we picked them? Cool. Uh, Matt, you want to start us off with your Hobbit Hobbit shenanigans? Uh, so, I mean, I'll start with the Spider Queen if that's cool. Yeah. But uh, so. There's there's not much to really say about it except that, I mean, you get a fairly cheap model for the points, three might, high fight, monstrous charge, high strength, um, and the options that she's convenient allies with are, are just crazy if you can think of a good way to synergize. So um, you, you you're taking Goblin Town. Okay. Yeah. Um, Goblin Town doesn't really need its army bonus, and if you're playing at a points level where you've got the model count to have a monster that can offset, like for whatever reason, if you don't want to take the Goblin King, so you're you're spamming out warriors, and then you drop in uh, the Spider Queen. She just adds so much synergy to be able to charge through. If you have her with the Goblin King, if you're playing higher points, it's it's. That's awesome at 800 points. I think she's also elevated in the fact that she is hero of valor. So she's one of she was really really high highly sought after, and now she's even still in that category with the new restrictions. Yeah. Now I I'm playing not to a lot of success, and I haven't had as much chance as I wanted to. But um, it's a very hard putt because I've been one dropping her with Dolgoldor playing with the necromancer and that stinks because you really want the army bonus when you're playing with the necromancer so you're giving up a lot of will but to shroud of shadows the spider queen and always have the threat of now that now that shroud of shadows acts like the one ring and you can just let the spider queen walk through somebody's line eight inches Gosh, it's worth it. Oh, I think she goes ten inches. She goes she? ten inches. Yeah, ten well, inches. Well, yeah, she does. But I mean, like I was saying, like an eight-inch move. But yeah, you're right. She's got ten. So all of a sudden, she's backline. You shadow shadows her, and she just takes out Kirdan or takes out Lady of Light. I mean, and she's not, got not, monstrous charge. And not does. just not just take someone out, but to, to trap someone because she can drop those three broodlings once she's on the other side of your line. Exactly. So I mean, if you lost priority. The shadow shadows her, go snipe someone, heroic combat, and then come back. I mean, it's crazy. Ugh. So I love I love that shenanigan. Ugh. It's deadly. I especially when you don't have the priority in the turn, because the other person's done their move and you can just see who to snipe. That is a pretty so uh epic level assassin. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, that's probably I, the most spendy one-drop you can have in that army, because losing that army bonus in Dolgoldor sucks. I built a list one time surrounded around her, which included uh, Moria, so Ashrak and uh, Drazhag. And then you can do the Enraged Beast plus the Shroud of Shadows on her. So you have a Strength 10 or whatever goes up to Invisible Monster. Like... That seemed like fun. I never played it, but that seems like a fun, fun combo. Yeah, I actually had a a few months ago a little Facebook comment with uh, with Devin, um, and he was saying that that was probably the best ally option for the Spider Queen was that build. The Mori build. Yeah. Because if she ever gets in trouble, you could always throw a Bat Swarm into her too. I guess Bat Swarms come with the Denzel of Merkwood, but still. Yeah. But anyways, I like her for a one drop. 
That's it's a good one drop. Hard to follow up. I don't want to spend a lot of time on Lady of Light, so maybe we skip her just since we've talked about her in other army lists or army reviews and how how uh, how she can be used. And I think everybody, everybody knows, knows she's awesome. Yeah, everybody yeah. knows. There is one. Um, oh, Legolas Greenleaf. I'll go next. So, again, haven't seen Legolas played like this a ton, but very interesting idea. So, again, ally, he can ally into any of the, the Hobbit lists or any of the traditional Lord of the Rings lists. And you're basically paying 100 points for the ability to assassinate, similar to the Spider Queen, but with less lethality. So, definitely going to be sitting back. He can shoot three times or he can shoot once with the auto hit and the idea of the auto hit is not the way I typically play, but hear me out. So you can do the auto hit even in uh, unique scenarios where you typically otherwise couldn't see. So what's it's clash by moonlight. Yep. Like this is not encumbered by the fact uh, it's dark. So your opponent's going to have to still keep careful ranks, make sure somebody doesn't get snuck out. Uh, the ability to snipe banners. So banners have a pretty big impact in victory points for, what, three scenarios? Yeah. So if you run Legolas as a one-drop, you have a lot of flexibility to not take a banner because you're not going to be as worried about keeping the banner alive or killing the enemy banner because Legolas can auto-hit and then has three might to put behind a wounding roll. Uh, that is something I've seen used actually twice, and once against me very it sucks yeah uh, the two shot the, the two plus ability i think really shines when you're playing against uh, an opponent who has a hero on horse because legolas can almost insta kill a horse with a strength three bow against a d4 horse you're going to need fives to wound and he has three might so if you have a situation where you absolutely have to kill somebody's horse unless you roll once you are going to be hitting the horse and killing it. So it, it provides a lot of unique, maybe you have the flexibility to shoot three times and just take the rolls as they get it, or you can auto select the horse to hit. Uh, I've seen that used really effectively. And the last place that I've seen it used, and this one maybe is cheeky if you're not doing good versus evil, but against enemies with blinding light, Legolas can still roll in and hit somebody specifically. Which, again, against with heroes that are on horse, usually the blinding light is protecting a very low model count army or a heavily mounted army. Having Legolas still be able to shoot in and disrupt what's going on is ridiculously frustrating. Yeah, the Shadow Lord isn't your protector anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I've, yes. Good call out there. Yeah, it's a good one. Marcus, have you seen a lot of one drops? I know you play Golovar a lot, but do you build a lot of lists with him as a one drop? Being he's, that he's a hero of valor, you can't um, take him because Engmar is impossible with most everybody. Oh, that makes sense. I was just I can, looking. I'll pull up my matrix just to make sure. The other, yeah. the other inhibitor though is he is 200 points, and it's very yeah. hard to have a 200 point one drop. Yeah, I was thinking of all the one drops I could do. I was thinking like the Moria Dragon, but you're racking up 300 to 350 points depending on how you play it, and it's an expensive yeah, and one drop. And you can take these bigger monsters because you can, you know, smash in so many cheap troops, cheap warrior troops. Yeah. And so the idea of doing a one drop, why would you? Like, just stay within your army faction. Makes sense. Uh, I would yeah. build, I think for that same reasons you said for Golovar, I would build so many lists with Sealdor in them if he wasn't impossible with so many things. It's really, really hard to ally him into things, yes. but a Sealdor would be an amazing one drop. Because of the ring, yeah. Yeah. Let's touch on Boromir really quick. We were uh, talking I'll about Boromir. I'll also just say that uh, being a dwarf player, uh, Gar uh, can't think of his name, Garion. Oh, Garion? Yeah, with, with his Windlance. Ooh. Yeah, actually, I was looking at that profile um, brought up in conversation recently, and... That's it. That is an interesting tactic because yes, the Winds Lance isn't going to do as much damage as most everything else in the game, but it still could do enough. And on top of that, you have the strength four bow if you need to. So there's a there's, that's a cool option. 
And we'll just say the one drop of uh, the Wonders in the Wild portion of the, the two Iron Hills Dwarves is good. Ah, uh, Tom because they're convenient with everybody. Ah, uh, so, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, count. Well, I, he, he's banned <laughs> from most everything. So. <laughs> yes. For, with good reason. <laughs> Matt, were you referring to Maroon and Drar? Yeah. Okay, yeah, those. That's that's a really good one drop. Six uh, might. Oh, yeah, the Elven twins. If you're gonna throw that in, but they're not Valor. They're Fortitude, aren't they? Yeah, right. but they have FAQ'd, so all you need is Fortitude now. If it's Fortitude, Fortitude for Historic, and then it ha you have to have at least one Valor from each faction if they're convenient. Yeah, except I think the Wonders in the Wild doesn't count on that because they can ally with anything. Ah, uh, ooh, yep. good slip for Moon and Drawer then. It's a good point. I think. Am I right on that? I think. I, I don't have the FAQ, but that does that does ring a bell for me. That sounds. I thought you were referring to the twins, which is why I was hesitant at first. But no, that yeah, I think you're spot on. Rude and yes. Drar have the exception. Yep. Um. So for Boromir, which yeah, is Boromir of Gondor on horse, the Fellowship profile. Oh, for a hundred, because you're obviously going to give him a shield too. Um, but for a hundred, hundred and ten points. Oh man. That's because he's 95 base. So okay. 110 for six points of might. So one drop this guy. So he's the ultimate glass cannon. You have to have a way to protect because he does not have any fate. He's got defense six and he one is, will. And one will. He is massively susceptible to shooting. I've seen that 110 points go up in air uh, to bow fire. And a Literally, trebuchet. You had, yeah, you had your, your conversation about the trebuchet hitting through blinding light. Uh, I, I have seen that. I've seen uh, him get shattered if he's trying to assassinate an enemy hero because he will lose whatever the strike off is or he'll lose something early on and then get killed in one turn. So you have to use him very carefully and you have to know you have to have a real strategy for how you want to play him. Mm -hmm. But being able to stand behind six might, that's just along right. with. A host of heroic actions to go with. He's got march, strike, strength, and defense. So, with six might to back up all those amazing heroic actions, is yeah. it? Yeah. Keep Huge him alive, points. and he will. He will never fail you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does seem like magic and shooting is the way he usually goes down, but in combat, it's hard to bring him down in one turn. Especially with the horn. We didn't list this at the top, but Mitchell, you called it out, and I would like to talk about it too. Guahir. Guahir being oh, a 150 yeah. point uh, one drop. This one is tricky because Guahir is a legend. So you have to be careful. If you one drop him in, you have to also be running a, a, an army that has a supporting legend so you can pick the other and not risk your assassin go getter as victory points. But at the same time, he's a defense eight, three wound, three fate model. That's kind of good as your leader. So I can but see with only two, but with only two attacks. True, true, true. So it, it can be tanky though, with you know, can be tanky. Another uh, model that I've seen used in a variety of ways are the. I'll just say we originally said the Witch King, but let's just say ring rates in general. Ring rates on a fell beast dropped into several armies. Most of the ring rates, whether it be a generic ring rate profile from the Baradur list, I believe, where you can basically build them from scratch, or the named ring rates from the Mordor list, you can drop them into, I want to say, more than 50% of the evil armies. But then any evil army would have a magic caster on a flying monster. Yeah. The name, all the named ones are Valor and the unnamed are Fortitude. But yeah, you're right. This instant drop. Oh, I didn't realize that the unnamed ones were only Fortitude. So maybe take that one back. Wait, well, stick, but Mordor is, witch. Mordor is historic with a lot of things. So I could still see, see that being useful. It's really, really good. And I, I wonder why people don't run the unnamed ones more. Uh, yeah, I get it. You don't have the special rules, but you're paying almost half the points. Depending the on how you run them. 
some of the special rules on those name re-rates though are just so incredible. It's hard if you have the option between the two and you're going to take, uh, you know you're going to take a, a magic caster. Why would you not pony up? That's true. Go all in. Matt, you mentioned the Keeper of the Dungeons. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the Hobbit, again, is kind of a weird uh, army set because you've got three armies that are all historic. Um, so with that being said, even the ones that are convenient allies, dropping him in to get a model with three might, high fight, uh, burly, strength five, two-handed, at 75 points just as seems like a cool... Mm. Uh, option for anything so again you're you're running you're running uh, goblin town at high points you're looking to just get a little extra oomph he's great um, especially as he starts getting up a few kills a little terror causing in goblin town is pretty cool um, you can make sure his one weakness is getting swarmed he's got great support cast in that mm. I, I think he's a great option and, and we didn't even talk about the trolls from that list, a one drop of any of those guys. The sneezer to just take someone's fight <laughs> out. Um, I got a rant. That. I got a rant from somebody uh, last week. They played a game, and he said he was sneezed on like Boromir was, <laughs> Boromir was sneezed on like four turns in a row or something like that. And he goes, this is the most frustrating thing I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't the sneeze reduce your fight value and it is an inhibitor. I forget what the actual special rule is. Yeah. I think it just, ha it just has your fight. He basically uh, needs a will to do it. So Boromir is uh, always losing a fight. If he says the most frustrating thing he's ever done. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. <laughs> the last one I have on the list, unless I forgot one guys call, call me out, but is Balin from the Hobbit. This is young, younger Balin, youngish Balin from Thor's I company. And I have never act. I think I've seen it once, maybe, but it's a relatively new idea, especially to our scene of dropping this model. I don't know. Maybe it's bigger in the community, but uh, this was an interesting idea to me because, especially for um, dropping it into army where it requires you to move first, so i.e. cavalry slash flying monsters. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting drop because it only increases your chances of getting that momentum, getting that advantage. And to be explicit, so the model is 40 points, and he has the Longbeard special rule, which allows you to re spend a point of will to re-roll your priority roll. And as a Kingdom of Moria player, I play with old, old Balin. It is probably one of the funnest, most impactful special rules I've played with in the entire game. There have mm. been so many times... I will be successful with all three of my roles or two out of the three of the roles or even being able to turn priority one time could be a make it or break it. Yeah. And you get that, you'd have that, uh, that flexibility for only 40 points. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's a hero of valor as well. So yep. there's a lot of options to drop him in too. Yeah. No, no restrictions on, on uh, allying him in because of the tier. Yeah, but so it's a 40-point automatic advantage that can elevate your army and can be dropped into most things in the Hobbit army list, at least. Yeah, and not much of a combat hero. Yeah, really, basically just a glorified elite warrior. Um, yeah. Actually, looking at the stat line, not even elite warrior. Elite courage. But other than that, you're, you're really paying 40 points for the opportunity to try and win three priorities. And as an example, I've seen this used recently in uh, the Misty Mountains. So dropping in him, having a bunch of eagles flying around, and getting that advantage for priority to make sure either your eagles get the charge off or they don't get charged. And he's just hiding in the back somewhere. That's a good model, too, because they always are dealing with having awkward point values. Yes. 40 points. You can get, Sebast you can get Radagast on eagle with Sebastian. And make it work. That's what it allows you to do. Is you get that Sebastian thrown from the eagle. Awesome. Did I forget any of these utility players that we were talking about, guys? I'm going through my list. I think we covered them all. Yeah, there's so many areas. I'm sure people are going to add more to them. 
these are just the big ones that stand out to us, but I think we've covered the big ones for the most part. Yeah, it just feels like there's so many honorable mentions that we don't need to talk about, but we can talk about Cardouche. We can talk about Suludan. We can talk about uh, Nazgul of Dol Guldur. Uh, it just goes on and on. Yeah. That would actually be fun if, I mean, everybody can chime in maybe their favorite one drop or the one they hate the most or come up with a list, ping us with honorable mentions that we didn't talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Desolator of the North. <laughs> That's not going to be on our honorable mention list. Come on, like 30 <laughs> goblins and then a and smog and it's a one drop. Okay, so doesn't I'm running, smog have... I'm running goblins. You know, you know, I did bring the desolator. <laughs> Arkin, he's not wrong. Technically, the army list is elevated. <laughs> so doesn't Smog have the special rule that he can't ally with people? No, that's just he doesn't have no, an army he, bonus. Yeah, it's he like doesn't he doesn't need an army bonus. bonus. He doesn't need an army bonus. He's a flying dragon. They should have given I him just... an army bonus of like the middle finger or something. <laughs> Flipping the bird. Randomly roll a D6. It doesn't matter what the dice roll is, but chuckle every time you roll and then get back to play. I just, just want to do that someday at a tournament for fun to be like, yeah, I brought Goblin Town and set up your models and like almost as you're ready, be like, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot. I, I did my last four band. My last four <laughs> under the table. Hold on, let me get let me get there real quick. <laughs> And just be facetious. Just take Goblin Town captains. So you still only have like five or six models. <laughs> but uh, I think your opponent would be suspicious at that point. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> there are not enough. You have, you, have, you have forgotten the number one rule of this game. <laughs> this is not fun. To win. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. To, to have fun. That's right. Uh, well, guys, stimulating conversation and always. Uh, any final words before we sign off here? No. It's good being back. Mm-hmm. Good being back. I'm looking forward to get some games in. Hopefully the next time we come together to record, we'll have some post-action bat reps talk about some of these armies we've been we've been building over the last few months. So take care, everybody. All right. Peace.